This is Lisa Nearing with Soft Skills 101, Life Skills for a Digital Age. This podcast is sponsored by the Ultimate Homeschool Podcast Network and True North Homeschool Academy. We offer live online classes and self-paced classes, testing, academic advising, a special needs program, and so much more. Check out the show notes for links to our Facebook groups, Instagram, and more. Soft skills are things like communication, teamwork, creativity, and critical thinking. Skills so necessary to have rich, vibrant relationships and success, but often overlooked as we work hard to manage all of our other details and responsibilities. In this podcast, we'll offer you tips, tricks, and helps, along with some great stories as we help you develop and teach your kids to develop amazing soft skills. This entire month, I'm joined by my husband of 34 years, Dr. David Nearing, who's a clinical psychologist and director of mental health clinics in three different states. And we're excited to have you here for this entire month talking about the soft skill of communication. Okay, this is Lisa Nearing, and we are back for another session talking about communication. I'm here with Dr. David Nearing, my husband of 34 years. Hey, Lisa, it's great to be back on the podcast again. It's a lot of fun. It is. And we have been talking about communication all month. Um, we didn't expect it to go this far, like we were thinking one week, but we just got into some issues and want to talk about how to teach your kids communication. We ended the last podcast talking about me, the, and we. Yeah. So we want to pick up on that and how to and continue the discussion about how to teach your kids communication skills. Well, it's funny because when you have real conversations like we're having, you never know really where they'll go, Yeah. <laughs> which is the whole point <laughs> right. of real communication. You don't know where they're going to go. We end up in a different place, don't yeah. we? Yeah, it's true. Right. So we're teaching kids how to, how to, to have those skills. And what I had said before was that, that in the conversation with a young person, we touch base on, on just kind of mentioning what their identity is, who they are, you know, periodically in talking about behavior. I mind It's more extended than just themselves part of this relationship that there's a wider broader community invested in them right that they might not even know well and that they are part of that they're responsible to indeed i I, i'm i'm mindful of this book that what came out several years ago you know one year living as an evangelical and uh, and, during the one year genre yeah during the one year genre that was going there i actually love that genre i read like eight of them sure well but the interesting thing about that is this this woman who's living i'm going to put that in scare quotes as an evangelical, unscare quote, in the beginning chapter, she's very careful to talk about a vignette, a, very, a memory between herself and her mother. Her mother's really, this This is a Jewish family, and her mother's really a secular Jewish family, and they're really nervous about her living as this evangelical. And the the thing that her mother said to her... And it was an experiment. Oh, it was an experiment, yes. It was an experiment yes. that she went to live in the evangelical world. Right. She's going to go live in the evangelical world, but she's saying she's living as an evangelical. And the last thing that her mother says to her is, remember who you are. Okay? A Jew. Right, as a Jew. Not a an evangelical. Well, a secular Jew at that. Yeah. A secular Jew. Remember who you are. Which, an evangelical is a Christian who is living out a new identity in Christ. Which means, by definition, this woman could not do what she said she was doing in the book. So, a, a without any casting aspersions on her, a good subtitle for the book would be "One Year Living Deceitfully," mm-hmm. because you can't do that. That doesn't work. That's not a real thing. She decided on the outset who she was, 
and she's holding on to that. Matter of fact, even more appropriately, she wasn't deciding that. She was receiving it as something that she had worked out with her parents, her grandparents, her ancestors, and herself in a way that's good, appropriate, honorable, great, all these wonderful things, but it's not what she said she was doing. She was not actually doing what she said she was doing. She was doing something else. Which is a complete spoiler alert because you just ruined the story. But anyway. Well, I understand. <laughs> I, I ruined the story, but I also want people to be aware that what she was doing in her heart was, was good and honorable, but what she was doing in the book was not. Right. So, and this gets back to the me, the, and we, is that we're all part of a greater culture. Now, social media and this new world of work that we're entering into is really changing things up. We talked in the first um, session of this series about the disruption of social media and how that is, in fact, one of the intents of social media, for better or worse. But with social disruption comes a lack of identity because to disrupt means what has been before is different. It's no longer is. Yeah. Right. Correct. So, so what we, what's important to do in our relationships, what's important to do, particularly in our parenting, is that when there's these kind of periodic, and not every single time, because you don't want to end up sounding like a broken record, but more often than I did, is to be able to say to the, the child, like we had your example of being a, an adolescent going out into the dark to take out the trash. Well, I, now that I think about it, I literally think I was like in fourth grade, so. Okay, so as a school-age child, even yeah. better, Okay. So for me, to, as, a, as your father, to say, you know, hey, Lisa, you're a strong, brave girl. You're my daughter. Mm-hmm. You know, you're a, a from a strong Christian family, and you can. Yeah. Okay? It's That's a little bit more appropriate in the middle school than in the, the elementary. In the elementary, I'd say you're a strong, brave girl. Okay? I, I'm proud of it. I know you can do it. In the middle school, it's getting to that identity. You are, in fact, you're from a Christian family. We all believe in God. We know that God is there. It's and that's who we we can walk in that courage of our hearts. Go slay the dumpster, baby. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, and humor is so important. It is so important. Like if you can not laugh at your kids, but just find the humor and some of the ridiculousness of life. I mean, I think depending on your personality and your life experiences, it's harder than for other people. But finding the humor. Well, that's teaching them things. perspective, right? And it's talking. It's teaching. It's teaching a reframe. A reframe. It's talking about perspective. It's saying it's not all about you. Yeah. It's it, There's a bigger context here. So being able to laugh together without laughing at the other person in a way that's degrading, that's an important skill and right. something that families have to be very careful to laugh with one another, laugh at things that we do, but not laugh at a person in order to humiliate or degrade them. I was talking to... Um... A gal who teaches professional etiquette classes, and we were talking about the fine art of small talk and the fine art of telling a joke. And I remember when your sister got married, all the extended family was there, and your grandma, who had to be in her 80s at that point, she was like a walking Chautauqua. And she stood for probably all five foot feet of her, she might not even be five foot tall, stood in the middle of the room of 25 women and for two hours told stories sang songs, literally sang songs on key, beautiful, told stories, told jokes. It was unbelievable. Just the wealth and skill of her ability to engage and entertain. And we were all enthralled. I mean, it wasn't like we were just putting up with Grammy. No, but that's 19th century society. I mean, if you you see that in Laura Ingalls. That was a while ago. Yeah, you you see that in in Laura Ingalls Wilder. It essentially makes reference to that with Pa and what they did in the 
the community. It's everybody understood that a part of their social skills was be able to do those things to communicate stories, communicate jokes. And just have jokes memorized. To I mean, have a memorized, right. One of the things um, I heard Diana Waring say years and years ago at a homeschool conference in New Mexico was teach your kids how to tell a joke. And, and it's fine for them to memorize it. If you watch the old Dick Van Dyke show, Maury Amsterdam has tons of jokes memorized. I mean, it's, they use the same jokes over and over. Right. What does joking do? Why is that such an important part? Because it dis, it disrupts in a positive way things that can be painful or upsetting or confusing. Well, it's it disrupts it negative patterns and gives us positive patterns. Mm-hmm. It allows us to get that perspective. But we can do that when we're... You know, taking care of our kids is I can, if I'm teaching my children, I can tell them a story from my growing up that, that kind of is, if it's done with good storytelling, can teach them something but entertain them. I can tell them a joke while, while going along. And as long as again, it doesn't tear them down or demean them, but rather, you know, encourages them, helps courage come in. It's actually very functional. But so, you know, being able to communicate with jokes and stories is an important part of teaching communication skills to our children. Right. And so we have to have jokes and stories to tell. <laughs> right. We, we do. And we also have to know how to use them, when to use them, when it's appropriate and when it is not. Mm-hmm. Right. So how else can we teach our kids communication skills? Well, a lot of times when it is noticing, there is this section in, in Matthew where it says the father who sees in secret rewards in secret. And the context of that section when when Jesus is talking about, you know, the father doing this and that in secret is is a small community where the father is often aware of what the children are doing by observation or more often by gossip, people talking to him, and the father knows these things are going on, but doesn't necessarily say anything, okay? It's it's the parent just observing things with kids and not being too quick to get involved, to just notice it. Just, again, that's an area where my, my fathering, I probably moved too quick to get involved on some things. It probably would have been better for me to, to observe and then stand back and just mull it over, pray it over, give it some thought for weeks, even months on, on some issues. But the thing is to observe our children, how they're doing, what they're doing, and, and then looking for the right time, saying to our kids, hey, let's go out and do this chore together or go on a walk together or something of that nature. And in that walk together, say, hey, I notice this and this and this. Not just, hey, what do you want to talk about? Because the adolescent or the child doesn't know. They don't know that they have anything to talk about. But when I say, I notice you're spending a lot of time in your room. I notice you haven't been talking as much at dinner. I notice uh, your eyes are dropping down an awful lot. I notice that these things are, are happening. That tells me, that is telling me that something's going on inside of you. Okay? Now, the child doesn't necessarily know what to do with that with that information. But it's it's saying, I see you. I hear you. I'm aware of you. And that's that first step. Remember back in infancy, I see you seeing me, hear you hearing me, experience you experiencing me. That's that first step. Okay. So then I then kick in after that with curious inquiry. You know, I wonder if everything's going well for you in in school. You know, can you tell me some, some stories from school these days? Okay. Or, you know, I wonder, you know, how is it going with your sister or your brother or your mom or your grandparent or whomever? Um, I've also been hearing this and this. I'm wondering what that's like for you. Okay. I'm showing curious inquiry. Okay. And this becomes a crucial next step 
is they aren't going to tell you what's really bothering them right away. Okay, they're going to they're going to send up a trial balloon. Okay, and that trial balloon is not going to be the most important thing. But they're they're testing to see are you serious about what you just said. So they're going to tell us something, and it's not going to seem that important. But they want us to really hear that and appreciate that. And to, and to kind of take that in and to mirror back the emotions, experience of what it is, whatever it was they're now talking about. And when they hear that I can hear that without making it about my reaction, about my issue, my agenda, and I can just sit with that curiously and appreciating it and respecting it, then when I can do that, then I can say, okay, and now I ask for more. And now we'll probably start getting into something that's more at issue. But I've got to do the same thing. It's very important that I sit with that, hear that, don't make it about my agenda, but just, okay, what's that like? And an important skill, again, one in which I think younger parents have a hard time with is, okay, what are you doing about that already? How do you see that? What do you think your options are? How are you understanding that? Because remember, this is about teaching them skills for understanding, analysis, you know, perception, things of that nature. Okay. So, and I'm just thinking in terms of homeschooling, because so many of us that homeschool, we're with each other all the time. And for better and worse, it's not, homeschooling is not the be all and end all, but there, in, in some ways, it, it's really good for the kids to be able to get a job, do other things, have sports and that kind of thing, so that there's opportunities for them to engage with a wider community. Well, remember what outside we, of the family, right? Remember what we said last time is that again, you know, I, my identity is 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 a conversation between myself and a wider community, a wider we, okay, and and so that is is thoroughly the case with the homeschool family. There is a we of which they're part of. You know, at one time that was maybe their ethnicity, their tribe, their faith system. But whatever whatever it was, we we use these days the popular term is tribe. But it's it's your people, okay? Whatever that your people is, well, that young person needs plenty of time to interact with that those people. And I'd say more than anything else, you know, that's where I think the church is really struggling is that sense of it is we people that we're really part of and really having an identify that we can identify with and be part of as as terms of me. That's hugely important. And churches are really struggling with the ability to cultivate that. They're, they end up being more institutions and organizations and less communities. Hmm. And, does, and that probably has to do with size, perhaps, um, or just the disintegration of society. Well, I think it's that. Or syncretism. I mean, there's a lot of different issues going on. In there's the a lot of different issues, but I, I think the biggest issue is that churches think of themselves as needing to communicate doctrine. Or, you know, get people saved, um, you know, go out and do stuff together. And all those things are important, important. But what disciple making is, is the essence of the me, the the, and the we. Mm. <clears throat> and, and that really when you have like church staff that are designed to go around and do stuff to build an organization and programs, the me, the the, and the we often get lost. And and so instead of building relationships, that's the me, the the, and therefore having a we, and that we now has identity, that often gets shoved aside, particularly when it comes time to work through conflict. Remember the conflict uh, learning skill, conflict management skills that, that kids are learning in elementary school? 
Okay, well, a lot of times people don't apply the skills that they've really learned or need to develop them more to really develop in the sense of this we that is part of a church community. So when there's conflict in, in church relationships, again, people don't work through it because there, there isn't a time of mirroring the other person when I hear them and they hear me hearing them. You know, just, and so what does that mean just barely pragmatically? Yeah, well, you say my point and then you say, so what, what I, I'm understanding about what you're saying is A, B, and C. Right. I, Am I right? Is well, that what you're saying? There's that, there's that, there's the content, but there's also, and it sounds like this, what you might be feeling about this, is it? Mm-hmm. And then I ask a question where they can really tell me the meaning of what they just said. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then at some point I then kind of summarize. So what I'm hearing you say is X, Y, and Z with these emotions and this meaning. If I, if I got that right. Okay. And when that other person says that, okay, now we're actually one third of the way through the conflict because then what has to happen is there has to be the other person does the same thing their self for mine. And then they hear my perspective in that exact same way. And then we have to go through a process of negotiating what we're going to do about this. And those are the skills that we're teaching our adolescent when we say, okay, you say it's not fair. All right, let me hear what you mean by fair. So, and just in a greater venue, how important is this? Because people aren't walking around having all this conflict in their life. But what I see more commonly is people quit, people walk away, people get divorced, people leave. So the avoidance of conflict cuts off communication. And not actually addressing, seeing and hearing each other and communication and negotiation is getting us where we need to go. Well, they are having conflict. They're just not working it through. Yeah. They're running away. They're abandoning. They're, they're punching out. They're, they're cutting and running. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's like, you know, let's think about the, uh, the apostles at, at the arrest of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. We look and say, oh yeah, pick <laughs> on them again. And, you know, it's what was wanted of them. Instead of cutting and running. Well, I mean, you know, in, as according to theology, it was important for the Savior to die alone on the cross. But, in, and that's, that was like huge and crucial. But the fact that it was such a scandal is contributed by the fact that his friends didn't hang out with him, didn't stay with him, didn't walk through that with him. You know, they just ran. And so they avoided the conflict rather than walking it through by saying, yeah, we know him. Yeah, we're with him. Yes, we're prepared to actually face this trial alongside of him. Even something as simple as just staying awake and praying with him in the garden. Okay, watching with him. Okay, and that's that idea of walking through a conflict or trial or tribulation with another person. You know, patting somebody on the head and say, oh, Lord, bless you. It's okay. That's better than ignoring it completely. But saying, well, how can I walk through this with you? I think is more basic to Christian community. How can I actually walk through the steps of this issue? Okay. And that's really what we don't tend to do to, to actually create Christian community. We don't walk through all of this. Okay. We hear, say a couple of aphorisms, you know, pithy statements and walk on. We are avoiding conflict. We're not working through and, and walking through conflict with one another. So walking through conflict can be between us, but it also can be with some uh, something else. In either case, we're walking through this together, either managing what's going on between us or managing what's going on in the bigger world together, shoulder to shoulder. Okay. A good friend of mine likes to say one shoulder. 
And so, and, and in doing that, we're teaching our kids that negotiation is worth hanging in for, that working through problems and conflict resolution is worth doing. Um, and so just bailing on people, I mean. Well, there's never a we. Yeah. Is, is if, if I cut and run, I've abandoned you. I betrayed you. There's not a we here. Okay. We is when we, you listen to me, I listen to you or vice versa. We negotiate an outcome. And then we come to this agreement, this is what we we shall do together henceforth. We now have a we. Mm-hmm. And so coming to the end of that, I listen to you, you listen to me, we come up with an agreement, and now we walk that out. That's what actually allows us to have we. That's what allows us to communicate skills to children. That's what allows us to be a people together. Mm-hmm. Right. So... Um, Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this show on communication skills, and we'll catch you next time. As always, thank you for joining us for another episode of Soft Skills 101, Life Skills for a Digital Age. Stay tuned for next week's episode, where I'll be joined by my husband, Dr. David Neary, to talk about listening skills and how they can contribute to not only the development of critical thinking skills, but peace in your home. We'd love to hear your comments and questions and appreciate your listening sharing, and downloading this podcast. We'll see you next week for another episode of Soft Skills 101, Life Skills for a Digital Age. Thanks for joining us. Mm-hmm.